Turn to James chapter 2. I don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm not going to probably get through my notes today. Um, but it's okay. Amen? Um, I thought I was going to t- get out of James chapter 2. I thought I was going to go to James chapter 3. But I kept on thinking about some things. And the Holy Spirit kept on bringing me back to two verses in James uh, chapter 2. And uh, so um, you can, I'm not going to read James chapter 2, 14 through uh, 25. Um, but uh, what I want you guys to do is, uh, I want you to understand, verse 25 and 26 are very important in the book of James. And before I get out of James chapter 2, I want to make sure that we realize what James is really talking about. And he's really given us a really uh, clear view and understanding of justification. And uh, a lot of people don't really understand justification and what that means and what that is uh, about in us. And but. But he, he's talking about faith without works is dead. I mean, he mentions that three times in, in, these, in these verses. So it's a very important part. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Faith without works is dead. And he talked about how, how when they, uh, somebody comes to your door, brother and sister, and they come to your door and they're asking for food, how can you tell them to go away and God bless you and not help them? He's saying that if you have been changed on the inside, something's going to happen on the outside of you. That there is going to be works that happen on the outside of you. And so here, in, 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 uh, we see that here in, in the second half of James, faith without deeds is dead. And what James has done is he's given us also an example, an illustration of this in Abraham. And, and, he says, and, and then he says, in the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute considered righteous, for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so here he gives us a, 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 a different example about that. And he says, in the same way. And that really means that uh, this is the same thing. This is not a different truth. This is the same truth. This is the same way as in Abraham. Now Rahab's story is probably a little bit less familiar for a lot of us. Than Abraham's story. We know Abraham. He's this patriarch of the, the Jewish nation. And we, we know about Abraham, but we don't know a lot about Rahab. So I want you to put your, keep your finger there in James 2, but go over to Joshua chapter 2 real quickly. Joshua chapter 2, and here's a setup. Uh, God's people, the people of Israel, are now finally going to go into the promised land. And there is one city, the first city they come to is the city of Jericho. And we all know the, the story of Jericho, how the walls came tumbling down. How many of you guys remember that story? You guys, how many can sing the song? You want to come up here and sing it? No. Anyway, and so here, before they go into Jericho, Joshua sends two spies into the land, specifically Jericho, to scout it out. And so here's what, where we pick up. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, he says, then, the, then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. you got to watch how you say that. And uh, they go, go look over the land. And he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, it kind of starts out a little shady here. Here, Joshua sends these two spies, and immediately they go to a prostitute's house. And so you got to understand that, that back then... Um, Rahab and her profession usually were also innkeepers. And the house was usually at the, end, uh, at, the, at the beginning or the end of the city, of the city walls. And so uh, what was happening here is that that's where they would do. They would stay in the inn. So they weren't really going to see the prostitute. They were actually staying at the end. And here, here it says in, in, in verse 2, it says, The king of Jericho was told, told look, 
Some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent the message, this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman uh, had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. And at dusk, when it came time to close the city gates, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up onto the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gates were shut. And before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and what and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that... All who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Shahan and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you have completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brother and sister, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from this death. Our lives for your lives, the men assure her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by the rope through the window, for the house she lived was part of the city wall. And now she had said to him, Go to the hills, the pursuers will not find you there. Hide yourself there three days until they return, and then go your way. And you can read the rest of the story later. Now, there's, there's much to unpack here in Joshua chapter 2, but the question I want us to understand here and to think about is why in the world is James in the New Testament bringing up a prostitute from the Old Testament? This is where I want to kind of give you an example, a glimpse of what's happening here, what James is really trying to bring about in the understanding of the church that he's talking to, the believers that he's talking to that are in exile, that are running around, they're scattered, they're being persecuted, and uh, they don't know, and, and they're going on hard times, some are going on hard times, some aren't, but here it is, and I want you to think about this story. First of all, uh, Rahab was a recipient of a scandalous grace. And I'm not talking about an immoral grace. I mean a shocking, a jaw-dropping, a what-in-the-heck-is-going-on type of grace here. And, and, and you come back to James chapter 2, and you see the connection. And to think about Abraham and Rahab. Abraham, this patriarch of the Jewish nation, and Rahab, a prostitute in a Gentile nation. Abraham, who's a wealthy man of the highest social order. And, and here, Rahab, a woman of the lowest uh, social order. A- Abraham, a noble man, and, they, and Rahab, just a common citizen. And it's the kind of thing that makes you wonder, Abraham and Rahab, why is he bringing this up? And you can almost hear it in James' voice is when he says it. He says this in, in really an honorable way in verse 25. He says, in the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did. He's giving her a place of honor. And, and no one is doubting this. And this is the reason no one is doubting this, because of what Matthew writes about in Matthew chapter 1. And if you don't have this circled in your Bible, you really should. You remember Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite woman, and the, and the Bible says that, that God was going to graft Ruth into the lineage of Jesus. 
is going to graft her into her, his family. And we see Ruth's name in the lineage that, that Matthew writes out about in Matthew chapter 1. But look at verse 5. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Matthew writes, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was who? Rahab. This gives me hope. That in the lineage of Jesus is not only a Gentile, but a prostitute. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Rahab was Ruth's mother-in-law. What kind of family tree is this? I mean, listen, I don't know about you. We don't talk about those people in my family line. We don't let people know that we're related to them, right? But here, it's written for all to see. It was a place of honor. It was a place of, of, of joy that God had placed them in this. And this is really good news that the holy God of the universe would look beyond the, the, the rampant sinfulness and draw the most unlikely persons into his family line. Because the God of the universe looked past this filth of sin in your life and in my life and has adopted you and I as sons and daughters of this kingdom. And that's totally a scandalous grace, right? It's shocking. It's jaw-dropping. And he did it to you and I. And he's given us, us this. So the first thing is she has this grace. And the second thing we see about Rahab, how radical she was, she feared and revered the sovereign God. She feared and revered the sovereign God. Look what she said in verse 11 of chapter 2 of Joshua. She said, when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Did you catch that? All Rahab had was some hearsay. She had heard about the stories from some other people. She didn't even know it was true. She didn't even see it. She had no experience with God himself, but she believed. She believed. She had a little bit of knowledge. She heard about the people of God, how they walked through the, the, the Red Sea on dry ground, how, how they took care of the kings that came before them. And she said, I know about your God. A little bit of knowledge about God, but she believed it. Your God is a God above heaven and earth. And she knew that she was accountable to him. She knew that judgment was coming on her land. But she wanted to know the Lord. And she believed the testimonies in which she believed God. That's how, why testimonies are so important. They don't need to know everything. They just need to know how, how God has changed your life. And when we're talking about Rahab, and we're going to talk about here in just a minute how she risked her life and what she did and how much it would have cost her um, by doing what she did. But she did it for one reason, because she believed God. She believed God. And that's the picture of Abraham. Why would he be willing to sacrifice his son? Is because he believed God. Why would Rahab be willing to risk her life? Because she believed God. Because it is faith that produces radical obedience. She feared and the sovereign Lord, and she honored him in that. And the third characteristic of Rahaz, because of that, she, was, she risked everything for the glory of God. 
She risked everything to spread his glory. I want you to think about Rahab and what she was risking in Joshua 2. If the king of Jericho would have found out that she was lying to him. And that she hid the spies. She had been found as a traitor. It was treason. And no question, Rahab would have been putting her life on the line. She would have been killed immediately along with her family. And this is why James, and, and even the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, sets up Rahab as a hero of faith. Because she was willing to risk everything, trusting God without hesitation, without reservation, without qualification. She didn't have any of these miracles happen to her. But she heard about it. And it produced faith in her to do something radical. Everything that was dear to her, she put on the line because she learned to trust the Lord. And I, I think about this. I think, man, God, I, I hear of all these testimonies. Am I willing to become part of that? And here James is really kind of honoring her in James chapter 2. And he's talking about faith without works is dead. And see, when you begin to have a change in your heart, it will produce works in our lives. We can step out of faith because of what all the Lord has done. And as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. See, what causes you to move? What causes you to do things for the Lord? What causes us to have this radical faith? Because faith, if you look at James and look at James chapter 2, he really gets on those people who do nothing for the Lord. He says, how, how dare you? And he gives us Abraham and Rahab who do not have the Holy Spirit. Who really aren't really in the sense uh, in a New Testament believer. They're an Old Testament believer, but they're not. They're, they, Christ hadn't yet died for their sins. And so he's telling these, these uh, uh, Christians, these Jewish Christians, how dare you? Not step out in faith. When you have Abraham, who trusted God to deliver and provide a sacrifice instead of his son. See, you have to understand what's happening. And, and this is what James is trying to get at. Do you really understand what happened when you gave Christ your life? Do you really understand what's going on inside of you? And when we understand justification, he's really talking about if you are fully justified. If you understand what Christ did for you, it will move you to action in a radical way. And he's talking about, hey, men and women of faith, where are you? There is something for you to accomplish because of what you know. By stepping out and doing something great for God. And here's what he's getting at. There's three realities of justification. The first reality of justification is Christ is the basis of justification. How are you and I as sinners declared right before God? How can that happen when we're not righteous at all? There's sin that comes into us and, and that has stained us. And there's no way we can produce righteousness. 
And the only way we could even have righteousness is someone to stand on our behalf. Someone who is righteous to give us their righteousness. We need another's righteousness to be credited to our account. And it's the language James is using and Paul uses that it was credit to us. And this is what Christ has done. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ takes our sin upon himself. He takes, and then he takes his righteousness. And this is what he does. He clothes us with it. That now we are his. And if someone would come and ask you the question, how did you get right before God? And you start saying, because I did this, because I did this. You totally, totally screwed it up. You did nothing. This is what James is talking about. This is, this is the flow of justification. You and I did nothing except to receive what he did. It's because Christ. That's our only answer. How, how did you get saved? Because Christ. You couldn't be righteous. Your righteousness is a filthy rag. So if you're trying to be good, good luck. It doesn't work. But if you really receive, and this is what he's telling the church here, if you have really received Christ, there's a change. Because Christ lived the life I could not live. He died the death that I, I deserve to die. And that's the starting point. And that's the basis of our justification. Christ died for me. He gave it all for me. I did nothing. It is all because of Him. It's all because of Christ. And that leads us to the second facet of justification. Christ is the basis of our justification, but faith is the means of our justification. Don't miss this. Faith is trust. Faith is not work. You understand that. And this is what I want you to get understand what James is talking about. Faith is actually anti-work. It's trust. It's submission. It's surrender. It's, real, it's the realization that there is nothing you can do to make yourself right before God, that He must do this. It's fully trusting in His promises. It's trusting that Christ began a good work in you. He is faithful to complete it. That's why I tell you all the time, don't focus on your sin. Focusing on your sin doesn't get you anywhere but probably more sin. You focus on Christ. You start focusing running to Christ, you're going to get free. Amen? There's going to be freedom because you can't do it. It's Him. And that's trusting in Christ. Faith is not an intellectual ascent. Faith is not, well, I believed Jesus died on the cross. What, what if James says? Well, the demons even believe that. Faith is biblical, it's scriptural. It's, it's, here's the picture of faith. It's turning from the life of self into the trust in Christ. So many believers are trying to, to look good. I've been there. I've tried to look good. Then my wife tells me the truth. You know? You try to look good. You try to do things yourself. And you try to look good in front of everybody else. But inside, that's what James is saying. There's no fruit. There's nothing coming out. See, faith is saying, God, I can't do it. But I know you have already done it for me. And I trust you. And I give it to you. And since, in Romans 5.1, since we have been justified where through faith, we have peace in God. See, through faith. 
It's not sometime a one-time walk an aisle, sign a piece of paper and a commitment card and say, I got saved. No, this is, this is where you truly trust in the Lord. So Christ is the basis of justification. Faith is the means that we trust in Him. And the third facet of justification is works are the evidence of justification. So because when that kind of trust is there, faith bears fruit. And when I fully trust in Him... I start bearing fruit. I start, I start, I start calling, I talking to people about the Lord. I start, I start sacrificing. I start, I start living the life of a believer. I start, I start doing things that, that I could never do on my own because it's only because of Christ. And that means that, that works is the, is, is, is the evidence that, man, things have been changed inside of me. And that's what we've seen over the last few weeks that we've been talking about this. Does that mean that works now become the basis of our justification? Absolutely not. You don't go there. Christ is the basis of our justification. Our faith in Him is the means, but the works are the evident. Because what happens is, my works are based out of faith, which is based out of love, right? Faith works by love. So in justification, faith works by what Christ did. Love. And so everything I do is not based out of need. It's not based out of me wanting to look good. It's not based on anything. It's based out of faith of what has been changed in my heart. There's an automatic thing that comes out of me that I get to move and I get to do things. I get to flow in the Spirit of God. I get to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. I get to have words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, uh, gifts of healing, gifts of miracles. Listen, if you want to see miracles, lay hands on the sick. Works are fueled by faith, not fueled by the flesh or anything else. It's, it fuel, works that are fueled by anything else but instead of faith are works that's trying to bring glory not to God but to you. And this is the whole picture in James chapter 2. And Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. Why? Because he believed. He believed. He had faith. And consequently, he was willing to sacrifice his son. Rahab believed. And she had faith in a God, listen, that she had no experience in. Man, that's just radical faith right there, right? You and I have had some goosebumps here and there, right? By the Holy Spirit. You've seen some things happen. Rahab hadn't seen anything yet. She only heard his word of what he has done. Isn't that radical? Man, that's, that's the type of faith I want. That I hear about you, God. I want to be where you're at. I, I know I'm, I'm a Gentile, but I want to be where you're at. She's saying, Lord, you know, I know I'm, I'm a prostitute. I'm the lowest of the low in my society. But she had the faith and the guts to say, I believe in God. I believe in Him. And when we believe in the finished work of Jesus, that when we put our trust in Him, and out of that produces work that gives Him glory because it's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Amen? And see that word that... Um, Hunter gave. That's a great word. I want that. But it's going to take radical faith 
that produces radical works. Amen? Are you willing to go that way? Faith without works is dead. And see, that's the thing what we have to check our lives. God, I, I know you've done something great in me. I want to see that. I, want, I don't want to work, because I know I can't work it out to get you to love me more. You already love me enough. But I want to do works that glorify you. I want to do things that bring you glory, Lord. God, I want, I, want to, I, want to, I want to step out in faith in a radical way, in some way. That pleases you. So here James is telling them this. These stories. Because he wants them to step out of who they are into who he is. And what he's called them to be. And we can only do this by the grace of the Lord. See, and that's the great thing about it. It's really not your faith, it's his faith. He places everything, gives us all the ability to be who he's called us to be. To be who he's called us to be as the body of Christ. To rise up above the things. And no matter what you're going through right now, he's got it. Lay back and trust in Him that everything He provided at the cross, healing, prosperity, love, purpose, joy, forgiveness, the ability to forgive, freedom. You rest in His promises. And then out of that love, now that you enjoying what God has done, it produces you, it pr- pushes you to produce good works. Out of that. That you cannot help. I mean you should be waking up. Every morning. God. How can I be used by you today? How can I speak your word today? That's who should we should be. As a church. How can I make you famous. Today. How can I be a conduit. Of your love. Of your power. Of your abilities today. To other people. And that's what James is trying to get them in. Off of themselves. Off of their own. I can do this. And onto you can't do anything. But Christ. It's through him. And the thing about it is. And is that. We're all going to be judged. Do you know that? That we're going to be judged. All this is going to be packed together. All three of these realities are ultimately involved in the judgment before God. And the great thing is, is when we get there, it's going to be a good thing for those who are believers, right? We get there at, at the final justification, final judgment. And, and God's going to probably say something like this. Why are you here? And you're going to look to his right hand. I'm with him. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen? I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. I'm with with him. And that's the thing you have to get. Because you're with Christ. 
And that's why he said, that's why Jesus says, you will do even greater works than I did. Amen? Because we realize something. That it's all about him. He is everything. And out of him I live and move and have my being. I can trust in him and I can do what he calls me to do. So bow your heads, close your eyes. So, um, you know, that's you. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about Abraham and Rahab. There are people that, you know, they didn't have what we have today. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We have His Word. And maybe right now you just need to think and need to tell God, just like James was telling the church that was scattered. Believe. Have faith in God. And allow your faith to move you to do great things for Him.